Welcome to the McShank Podcast on McCarran Podcast Network. Good to hear from, good to hear everybody out there in uh, Radio Land, Podcast Land. Hope everybody's doing well. Joining me as always, the better half of the McShank uh, duo. I'm joined, of course, via Skype this time, not live. We're doing this uh, a little bit differently this time. I'm in Northern California. Clayton's in Southern California. Not a permanent thing. Don't worry, podcast fans. You're going to be in the same room again very, very soon. Uh, but joining me from Southern California over the internet, Clayton Shank. Clayton, how are you? I'm very well, Ryan. And you seem to have got your only correct point of the night out of the way already. Yes, I Which is am what? The better half. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to lobby like a nice compliment just to start the show off, you know. Oh, like, and, no, and, and that was just an affirmation of your compliment. Well, okay. I mean, <laughs> that was me handing you an olive branch, and that was you spitting in my face. That's what that was. <laughs> that was me turning it into a gigantic ogre in what will become our third act battle. <laughs> We're not talking about Warcraft. We're not talking about Warcraft this week. No, no, no. We're no. talking about the other toothless Lord of the Rings leftover that graced the, the early summer calendar of March this year. Yes. So, and we're gonna we're gonna contrast that abomination with another movie that just came out very recently, uh, Captain America: Civil War. Um, and I think we're probably going to focus a little bit more on that movie than we will on Batman versus Superman. Um, but we'll, but but there there definitely are things in both of them that do carry over and cross over. So I think it just sort of lends itself to being mentioned in the same breath, really. (laughs) So, um, I mean, and that is really the only comparison that the two films will actually make is like, Oh, we kind of deal with the same kind of themes and that's about it really quality wise. I think they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, Yeah. I mean, there, there are some caveats to that, which I will certainly do my best to relay with my usual flawless logic. God, you're (laughs) Captain uh, Cocky tonight. What's going on? (laughs) I'm just trying to fit the mood of this antagonistic duality we will be exploring here tonight between mostly good heroes fighting each other in a variety of good and bad films. So there's just a lot of conflict in the air tonight. All right, well... Well, why don't we just why don't we start it off, Captain America? That's since that's the one that's freshest on our brains, probably. Um, yes, I, I, you know, we we've talked about Marvel just at length. I mean, in multiple times, there's an entire podcast you can go back and find and listen to our thoughts about Marvel movies. We didn't really get a chance to touch on Age of Ultron too much. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was. I thought it was a fine film. I know you were a little bit skeptical on it. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it kind of hit the checklist of everything we had talked about. Marvel needing to improve and not improving it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. I was. I was. I was a little. I was. I was intrigued when you when you said it worked for you a little bit more. Because yeah. For me, it was the laundry list of the same complaints. Well, um, so now, so now we get to essentially Avengers two and a half. I mean, it is Avengers two and a half. And I think it's the one that we should have gotten to begin with. Right. I I don't know, but I I feel like civil war just kind of, uh, proves my, my contention and actually our contention that age of Ultron barely 
needs to exist. You know, I think there's there's a couple things that obviously stand out from the movie, one being the inclusion of Vision and Scarlet Witch, which would make uh, Civil War kind of make no sense if they just showed up. But a lot of the other stuff about collateral damage, I mean, they could have really weaved into the, the end of the first Avengers film because... There's that same level of destruction going on, at, at least. I mean, there are no cities being dropped from the uh, the early, the, the young stratosphere in the sky. Right. <laughs> uh, but there's still a lot of destruction. They could have weaved a whole collateral damage in just to this narrative, and I think we would have barely missed a beat. I, I, I agree I, with I, that. I, I, I think, uh, I guess that that's true, because what, what they, the main piece of information that allows the Sokovia Accords to exist is sort of based on the stuff that happened in Sokovia. I I think it's just because Marvel is so meticulous with the timing of their movies and everything that it almost seems like if they would have done that at the end of the first Avengers, since four years have gone by and not that much time has gone by in the actual... MCU, it may have felt a little off and it may have felt a little bit weird because there's been so many movies in between. You know, they sometimes they, they, they seem to to do okay with their timeline and then not okay with their timelines. They're very, I don't know, it seems very strange. But, um, but I, I think they needed to have the events of, of Age of Ultron in order to get, if not to move the characters along a little bit, to get them to the point where they are now, um, but to also create such a large worldwide scale thing to almost create this, um, to make this movie go. Yeah, I I feel like, I almost, you know, you said they spaced, they, the spacing out of the films would have made it a little odd. Um, I, I, I feel like, I mean, I just so wish that these movies would be spaced apart by four years. You know, like, I, I really wish they put four years four years worth of preparation and planning into them instead of, you know, the longest-running, most expensive and irregularly placed TV series of all time. You know, which is, right. I, I feel like, what each movie really, really feels like. And it, it's, it, granted, it's an interesting way to relay a cinematic experience, you know. But I think that the, the consequences of doing that, ironically, make it less cinematic, you know. And, I mean, this is, this is material we've, we've touched on mm-hmm. before, so I won't, I won't dwell too much into it. But I, I really kind of, I really do miss the time when franchises took three and four years between each film. It seems like such a quaint idea now, but the idea of a lead in and building anticipation, anticipation. Thank you. It's the buzzword I was looking for. And it's, it's really hard to get excited about, you know, the big Marvel machine. Now It, it just, it does have that kind of sting of, uh, inevitability and kind of uh, just homogeny now, you know, like, I mean, I remember you've, you've said in the past, some of these films just kind of start to blend together for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Civil War actually does a little bit, actually improves a little bit on that, I think. And before I even go into this too much, I, I do say, I do want to say that I do think this is a good film. I agree. And, 
And I think it is probably in their top five. I'd put it behind Iron Man, Winter Soldier, Guardians, and I think Avengers in that order. I put it at number five. Um, and Avengers, I think, is just we've talked about it being kind of a mediocre film in, on a whole, but I think that the intertwining of characters just in the third act alone was a much more exciting and moving cinematic moment than anything that we get in Civil War. Um, so I think that moment alone kind of puts the first Avengers film ahead of this, but I, I do I want to ask you, do you really think this is a Captain America film, or do you, do, do you think it's Avengers 2.5? No, I, I, it is Avengers. It's more Avengers than it is Captain America. Um, but... I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you have to give them credit at least. They've been able to take their time in crafting their characters, giving them each their own sequels on their own before they try to throw a bunch of stuff at us. Uh, And that because they were the first ones to get this trend started, they're the ones that were able to basically just set the trend and it's something that DC is still trying to catch up on. It's why we didn't get another standalone Superman movie before we get Superman vs. Batman. It was, nope, we established the Superman character, and then instead of diving into anything else or having him do anything else, now he has to be paired up with Batman. And so they're the ones, Marvel's the ones setting the setting the, the, the race for for everybody else, and so... DC now has to make this catching up thing and, and and it's to their detriment because they're not allowing their characters to experience things on their own before they basically just throw them into the fire. So um, well, they're, not, they're not allowing them to breathe. I, I totally agree. And while DC's films in this, what are they, are they calling it the DC EU or something? Uh, it's they. The, the sad thing is, is that Man of Steel was met with a pretty lukewarm, a pretty lukewarm response, right? Um, it wasn't met with a whole lot of. I mean, fanboys will come and defend anything, but it, it didn't get the kind of treatment a flagship character would command, would normally command. Um, are you still with me? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry. I, I, I heard a weird sound. I thought that a. Uh, Sounded a lot like <laughs> a, a funny sound. Oh um, no, I'm but, here. Uh, I haven't. I haven't died yet. Don't worry. We're good. <laughs> that was that rattle. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so it, it's funny because Man of Steel's met with a lukewarm response, and DC immediately responds by putting their most proven commodity back into the picture. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Batman is pretty steady box office gold, and and they in turn. Rush, rush the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, it's it's something that I find very hard to defend that film. And we'll, and we'll get into it, but I, I, I do like that they that Marvel spreads out their film. Like they, I do like that characters get their own films, and I think that the Russos made probably one of yeah the better Marvel films of Winter Soldier. That movie actually did feel personal. Against all odds, um, it I need felt, to watch uh, it again. I, yeah, I, I I saw it when it came out, and I haven't seen it. And again, because it's like I don't go back and revisit these movies. I I sort of thought about it before I saw Civil War, 
But then, I mean, people are talking about how I've heard it compared to it being the Dark Knight of the MCU, pretty much. And I'm like, ah, was it that good? I don't uh, know if it's. Uh, I mean, maybe in relative scale. Yeah, in a, rel- in a relative scale, you're right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a lot of people were. I mean, it's even mentioned in the film the new Tom Holland Spider-Man makes an Empire Strikes Back reference, and then the Avengers proceed to actually reenact a scene from that film. Right. Uh, uh, albeit translated into their fight, but <laughs> it's still they were. You can tell that they were trying to. They were gunning for for this to be the Empire Strikes Back of the series, where the film ends on a very dour note, and it looks like a lot of hope has been lost. Um, the characters are split apart, basically. You know, you have one yeah, section I, going here, one going here, and a few in prison, and yeah, yeah. Characters, characters are split apart. There's some pretty heavy emotion going on towards the end. Um, but I, I think we need to accept the fact that these movies are made for a very specific age group. Um, it's and, not the 30 to 35 college grad, uh, lots of disposable income crowd. It's not... It's, no, no, no. I was thinking. I was thinking about it. I was like, "What would my twelve or thirteen year old self think after watching Captain America: Civil War?" And the fight at the airport, in particular, would be probably one of the coolest things I'd ever seen in a theater at that point. And I totally acknowledge that and give it all the credit in the world. But the thirty-one year old self <laughs> <laughs> looks at that fight and sees a complete lack of anything interesting going on behind the scenes. <laughs> really? I, I, I guess I, 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 I would disagree with that. I, I, I think it's a little weird. I, I think it's a little, the, the, they're, they're, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it's mostly played for laughs and there's a, a part at the end where it gets kind of serious and we find out, you know, a character has taken the, taken the fall and, you know, there was a consequence of this battle. Um, albeit one, I don't think that they took far enough, but I, I, I still think that for the most part, it's, it's very light and airy and, you know, very well, chore- well choreographed. I don't think the Russo's fall into the same trap Joss Whedon did in Ultron, where I actually forgot characters were in this battle at some point. Um, you, they kind of show up in a shot in Ultron and you're like, oh yeah, that person's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never felt like I lost track of anybody in the uh, very heavily teased airport battle from Civil War. Uh, I think I thought they did a really good job. That probably goes back to the storyboard artists and the action choreographers. Uh, I always knew where everybody was, and that's a definite improvement over Age of Ultron, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but but I, I still don't think that it had the gravity of a movie with the audacity to put the words war, the word war in its title. You know, um, I, I, I think it was, it just did not have the heft to, to command this, this movie that had been promised. See, I thought that, that, that building towards that, because, because they were building basically towards that, the whole movie, it sort of seemed like, you know, maybe sort of like a Lucas prequels thing where you're just kind of building towards this, the, the lightsaber fight. Um, but I really enjoyed the battle. Um, and I'll tell you why, and you mentioned it a little bit in what you just said, is that there is a lightness to it, there is an airiness to it, which is kind of what I would want in a movie like this. And I have a hard time 
not seeing it through the lens, the comparison lens of a movie like Batman v Superman, because in that there is even less at stake, it seems like, or the, the, the fight seems way more contrived and there is absolutely no joy to be found whatsoever throughout the entire movie, but specifically in this, you know, I mean, there's not going to be supposed to be joy in this fight, basically, but but the fact that it, that the one in Civil War is played for, is played sort of, not jokey, but I mean, it, it takes place in the middle of the day, and, you know, it's in this giant airplane hangar where you can just... There are no flaw. There can be no flaws in CGI or anything like that. It doesn't take place in 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 dark, complete darkness, and uh, in a rainstorm where you can kind of hide some CGI. Um, and I actually oh, thought, and I actually yeah. thought, I actually thought that there that they had done a decent job of building up the conflict between the two sides. Now, I mean, could they have done more? Yeah, but I thought that they did a nice job of delineating, hey, this is the side that we're on, and this is the side that we're on here. We're not necessarily, you know, we're, 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 we're just, you know, we're all still friends, but you were just having, a, just having a bit of a skirmish over, you know, some United Nations stuff that we're going through right now. Um, so, I mean, well, here's, yeah. Here, here's why I didn't get a whole lot of, uh, it, I mean, I, I definitely got enjoyment out of out of that brawl on a purely visceral level. It was just fun to watch from just a fan of well done action scenes, you know. Um, but the reason I done, didn't get a lot of it is because I think the motivations of the characters at this point make very very little sense. Um, and I think I mean I haven't read Civil War. I don't know the source material, but I also don't think you have to. Um, I think the movie should stand on its own. Um, I agree. But the way it's presented here, the way it's presented here, I don't feel like the motivation of the characters make a whole lot of sense. In fact, I feel like they should be re- reversed because it's uh, been it's built up this entire time that Tony Stark is kind of uh, he's he's the epitome of anti-establishment. You know, like he's he's capitalist in a lot of ways, but he's kind of overcome that. But he's definitely not the guy who is going to buckle under government pressure under any circumstances, right? Um, he's, he's still kind of a maverick. And the whole thing about his confrontation with Alfre Woodard by the elevator where she relays his kind of... Uh, the, the moment where his doubts over his entire place in this situation is called into question when she relays the casualty that happened in Sokovia that obviously he was a part of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that puts him into a crisis of conscience, uh, which ultimately questions his uh, his place in the Avengers and the Avengers' place in the world, and he ends up taking the side of the establishment. Uh, there needs to be government oversight here. Um, and it seems to me that both with the Sokovia fight and the first fight in this film where they defeat crossbones and they recover the biological weapon, albeit at some civilian cost. Uh, I feel like where is the argument from Tony Stark that we just captured a biological weapon with the potential damage of millions of casualties, you know, and there's, and yeah, like, unfortunately this little swath of civilians in the battle zone happened to die. 
but look how many people we potentially save by keeping a, bio, a biological weapon out of a madman's hands. You know, where's where's that logical Tony Stark who would come to that decision? And on the other hand, Cap, the Cap has always been the soldier, right? The guy who will follow orders and do what's best for his, his country, right? And here he has his country played by William Hurt in this case. And I, I do like the touch that they finally acknowledge Incredible Hulk exists. <laughs> Uh, um, <laughs> back comes Thunderbolt Ross. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so Cap, all of a sudden, doesn't feel like he should play play by the rules. And it just so happens it's when it's mostly a personal matter to him. So it seems like it's not okay to break away from the establishment as long as it's you, in this case. Um, and so that kind of makes his motivations hypocritical in my opinion and I felt like both sides of this battle were on an odd footing to begin with I think that's true I mean I and I I thought that coming out of it I always it struck me a little hollow because we saw it twice opening weekend just because we kind of want to like you know get a sense of of it and stuff and um and it, it, it especially the second time through it, it it did seem more stark so to speak um, that it it shouldn't have been maybe not flipped, but that they both could still just be on the same side. <laughs> you know that they they and, and it definitely does a better job of, of setting the table for something like the airport scene more than Batman v Superman, which we'll, we might get into later. I mean that fight makes completely no sense at least from one side of it. Uh, and 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 this one, yeah, like I. It set up better, but I still didn't completely buy it, and I felt like the whole conflict between them was contrived. Because I mean, how, how can they how can they not see that what they're doing is for the greater good, and government regulation is a horrible idea? You know, um, I, I, I don't I don't get Stark's sudden flip on this on this uh, circumstance. It seems totally out of character. I mean, maybe he's maybe he's feeling more vulnerable because. Him and Pepper, you find out that him and Pepper have sort of split up, and you know, super pep, super pep, and he, and he, you know, I mean, he he had a little bit of a thing with a kid in Iron Man three, and his place was destroyed. I, I mean, I, I I can see how he might in that moment feel vulnerable, and just sort of now it's like, you know, this is kind of the last straw for him, really. Um, because it certainly doesn't seem like just this one thing would be the reason why he would flip around and all of a sudden now be on the side of, well, we need to, we need to accept limitations. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, throughout the whole thing, it's very interesting because Bucky is sort of like almost like a damsel in distress, but as a, as a yeah, male. I mean, <laughs> Obviously, a through line from Winter Soldier, which you know, on the service makes it a Captain America sequel, but he he doesn't really get a lot to do here other than kind of be the the object of the scene, you know? Yeah. Like like but he, he's kind of a plot device in most situations, and it makes you kind of dislike Captain America because for that reason, because you're like this this guy, like him. I mean, I understand that he is probably your only link to your past, which is why he may just be going above and beyond to try to save him and clear his name and make sure that he's blah, blah, blah. But it just seems very odd that he just 
is constantly in danger and is constantly just wanting to save him over all others. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, he's seen that he basically can become a a compassionless killing machine. Uh, I mean, if if programmed with the correct language, you know, like this this guy is obviously a loose cannon, and at best he's like half of your friend. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, but there's there's a lot of of risk with this guy just walking around, and yeah. it seems like Cap is very strangely putting that that link to his past over the safety of the public good. Yeah, I would just love to see Bucky walking around like downtown Moscow. Just you know, he's on vacation, he's enjoying his life, and somebody just starts singing a song and just starts saying his words and all of a sudden he just goes off on a murderous rampage just like just that just this no way of being set off like no way of not being set off just just inadvertently he thinks he's done with it and then all of a sudden he just hears the words and then just like kills uh freaking mikhail gorbachev or whoever's in power at that particular time um it's very yeah but um so i mean well, you know, one thing. Yeah. Let me let me throw this out. We haven't touched on that. We haven't touched on this yet. But I, it might surprise you, maybe not. But I think that the Baron Zemo character um, is probably after Loki the best villain in this cinematic universe. Um, okay. I yeah. Think that's, yeah. I had thought. I I, I had thought you were going to bring that up, and and I I'm not sure yet. <laughs> I think that because. He, I guess he, he's the closest thing to a DC villain because he, he sort of seems like he, he's not over the top and he's not unrealistic. No, he's, he's definitely he's very, he's very human. Yeah, he's definitely very grounded and has a reason and has a clear vision and a clear plan to what he wants to do. Um, and I love Daniel Bruhl, but I guess I just would have wanted a little bit more flair out of him because it it is still we're still in a comic book universe, and I would have liked something like give it Ultron's flair, but his his viewpoints and, and his sort of uh, and 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 his storyline basically in the movie. So well, the reason I I, I, lo- I really do like this character, and it wasn't until I thought about it more. Because I like that, A, I think he wins in this movie. Um, oh, yeah, he knows. He knows he wins, too. Yeah, yeah, he wins. And he does it through very careful manipulation. And it's something that I don't feel like, I don't feel like he's a monster. I think he, he did a monstrous thing uh, in, in blowing up the, um, the UN Council meeting, um, but... If you watch carefully, that definitely wasn't his first choice. <laughs> you know, he, he wanted to just get the information the old-fashioned way, but he couldn't get it. Yeah. Uh, and it really is to avenge his family and avenge his city. Uh, and, and, and he holds the Avengers personally responsible, which does tie into the movie. And, again, I think could have been done in a separate incident other than Age of Ultron. I, I really don't think that movie needs to exist. But... Uh, I, I really love how he is he's kind of the less charismatic Loki, right? He's kind of the guy who he pulls strings, he sometimes operates behind the scenes, and he brilliantly gets his way at the end of this film, and I totally bought the se- the, the sequence of events that led up to it. I, I feel like that his plan to just kind of get these three people in a in a chamber at the end and relay a very crushing piece of information 
was more than enough to start the conflict that it starts. Um, I thought I thought his plan was brilliant. It's executed to perfection, and it works. Um, it's it's comes from a very personal place, and you can even see he was ready just to <laughs> he was ready just to end it all because he thought he'd, he'd he'd accomplished his plan, and he was fine with that. He was done with it. He was over it. You know, um, it, to me, he was Marvel. These movies are not known for their villains at all. The villains are usually just. After one-dimensional one foils yeah. for, the, for the for the heroes, and this movie in particular didn't really need a flashy villain because it already had the promise of uh, Avenger on Avenger, you know, battle bots about to happen. <laughs> um, so I thought the inclusion of Zemo was actually kind of the perfect villain for this movie, and I thought Brule plays him well. Although I must say, I was sorely missing the who wants to send a message to Germany. <laughs> I know that's it was like his first major use, role that I knew him as, and that's just what he'll be always. I could have used I could have used one of those. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, like he's in the chamber, at, like towards the end, he's in the chamber, and you just look down, and he's just carved a swastika on the ground or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And then the whole yeah. theater cheers. Um, yeah, I thought um, I, I think uh, <laughs> crushing is definitely an apt word to use uh, for that piece of information that was revealed in that video um but uh i, I mean I, I don't know I, I i guess i need to think about it a little bit a little bit more um i completely forgot what i was going to say but that's fine we can move on well, uh, yeah no I, I i do think he's he's one of the better ones um uh i, I think I, I like him i think his plan works i think he's interesting oh i figured um, it out i figured it out it was that I kind of thought there was a little bit of Javier Bardem's Skyfall need to really be in the right place at the right time for this to work. Um, and, you know, just a, just a tiny bit of that, tiny bit of like, well, if this person zigs instead of zags, then the whole plan is pretty much screwed. Oh, just, I feel like this whole universe is built on that wobbly premise. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, you know, like I, I feel like, you know, the interconnectivity between them, I think, is you have to suspend that disbelief to go along with it. You know, because, you know, where's where's Thor? Yeah. Where's uh, where's Hulk? Where's I mean, Hulk, I know they yeah. kind of set up that he was going away so I can kind of buy Hulk, but where the fuck is Thor? Thor yeah. <laughs> you would want to know. He's he's hanging out with Natalie Portman, that lucky duck. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I'd do the same All thing. right. Well, what about the themes of this movie? I feel like that that you can look at what this movie deals you, with. You know, um, but before we go on to the themes, really yeah, quick, go ahead. ahead. One more touch of character motivation that kind of irked me, um, and that is Ant Man, um, played by the delightful Paul Rudd. I really do love this guy. Uh, it brings just just he just catapults wit at the screen. Yeah, you know, like, I love this guy. Like, uh, Much I really like Ant Man too. Yeah. Like, I actually enjoyed Ant Man more than Ultron, believe it or not. Huh. <laughs> um, I thought Ant Man was very good at what it was trying to do, and it did kind of mix things up pretty well. Um, but uh, what didn't really sit well with me is how quickly Paul Rudd is willing to take up the criminal lifestyle in this film. Uh, because we just went through a whole film of him where he is trying to win back his estranged daughter, right? Yeah. And and he puts on the suit. He's he's basically against the establishment, and at the end of the day, he is he he's rejoined. You know, like it, it just it, it works out, and 
I just kind of found it a little troublesome that they pretty much dispensed with all that progress in one line in this film <laughs> where he's pretty much like, oh, yeah, what else is new? Maybe yeah. I'll be a criminal again. <laughs> um, it was, I mean, his inclusion in the fight was fun for obvious reasons, but yeah. I, 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 did, I did kind of, I was kind of disappointed with how quickly they dismissed everything from Ant-Man <laughs> and like everything he was fighting for. <laughs> Well, but this was clearly very important. Obviously, more way more important than winning back his daughter, I guess. So, his yeah. motivation. He, what's that? He, didn't, he didn't know any of these people. Yeah, I was just want to say peer pressure, I guess. He must have he, met yeah, them he, in some way. He knew Falcon, yeah. like, barely. And then yeah. that's after he kicked his ass. You know, and, and, and suddenly he's like, oh, yeah, it's time to, time to be a renegade again. Let's, let's go, kids. We're good. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, that, that kind of, I mean, small, but that kind of bugged me. Yeah. Um, well, the, the themes in this movie, we can kind of start to weave in a little bit of Batman and be Superman in this one, I think, because I do think there are some similar things at play here. Um, I think mainly we've talked about a little bit, I mean, the, the, the governance of superheroes and being responsible for their actions, basically. I mean, that's... I mean that's kind of a major one in both of these. You know, there, there's the there's the argument in Batman versus Superman about Superman is he a god or is he? Uh, I mean, is he a weapon or can he be used as one or what are his intentions and everything? And and it, it, let me briefly interrupt right there because I, I mean because yeah this movie this movie sucks it's fucking terrible but that is actually one of the things I appreciated about it is I felt like it's really one of the first superhero films to really talk about these characters in an almost mythic status, you know, uh, gods and devils, the, the, the ultimate light and the ultimate shade, even though it fails. Yeah. Totally. At least they're trying, I guess. And, and that's why I honestly, there's a part of me that really appreciates that movie, even though it sucks because I, I felt like they were actually trying for greatness in that film. And you know, they didn't find it. Um, it. It might be in there somewhere if you dig long enough um, and rearrange certain things. Because I, I think there might be a really good movie in there somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just don't. I just don't think they find it. I think it goes um, back to the. I think it goes back to the age range we were talking about. Is if yeah, this is Batman versus Superman would scratch the itch that you have as a 31 year old. Whereas as a 12 to 13 year old civil war would be like amazing. It'd be what exactly what you were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And, and for, and I have a, a little scintilla of respect for Batman versus Superman that I wouldn't give to civil war actually, because I, I, I think time and time again, when every time Marvel had the chance to be great and to do something great, they always pull their punches to a to a degree like I, I always feel like they're right on the cusp of doing something amazing and they always pull back you know um, and it's kind of it's it's kind of evident and uh, reliable at this point you know I, I, in Civil War I mean granted the third act is what I've really been missing from these movies um, the, the end of the fight was so personal it was small it was so small it was three characters in a fist fight in a dilemma that I totally bought, you know, um, and that's why it works so well. It's so small. Um, they're not fighting an army of CGI robots or whatever the fuck those things were that came through the wormhole. You know, like it's, it, it's just, it's so much more involving and I, I love that they took it there this time. And that's why I do really like civil war at the end of the day. Yeah. 
Um, but Batman vs Superman, yeah. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit. I mean, it, it's been derided by everybody, yeah, pretty much. And for I don't, I don't know who can defend that film at this point, but I, I, I do appreciate what it was trying to do, even even if it failed. I guess it's I, I guess at the end of the day, with Batman v Superman and Civil War, when I'm when I'm going to a theater with the Express. You know, with the with with the want to see something, it's a summer movie. I have a certain expectation for it. I would want a movie more like Civil War than I would Batman v Superman, um, because it, it you are still in Batman v Superman. It's so hilarious just to see the extent that these characters talk with so much seriousness about things <laughs> that just sound so silly, like they just are so ridiculous. It's like. A funny thing in the Transformers movies is like the same sort of thing. Like you have these, you have these big generals, and you have these heads of state that are saying like Decepticons and Autobots, and it just sounds so so weird coming out of. They're trying to be so serious about this stuff. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but in 2005, a guy named Tim Story directed a little film in Fantastic Four, right? Um, and that is. Batman v Superman on the opposite end of the spectrum. I don't think I ever really. I don't think I saw that all, all the way through because it would just well, look, it looked well, horrendous. Let me, you, let me save you a lot of pain, please. Um, it is uh, it is light and comic to an absurd and horrifying degree. It is uh, it is as as light as intangible cotton candy, <laughs> and they, they play everything as goofy and then expect a serious. Resolution. It's it's just horrible, and and put me in a in a severe slump after Batman Begins came out. Um, but it's funny because I do think Batman and Superman is like the exact opposite of that travesty, where it just takes it so far to the right, where it's so serious, so joyless, just a brooding slog of a slugfest that honestly makes very little sense when you think about it. I mean, people are people are test. There, there's a scene in. A court, like in Congress, like that. That's yes, how. Yes. That's how you just uh, just a perfect representation of Makes the differences no between the two. Like, why are you here? Why are you there? That may, that that is not fun. That's that's C-SPAN. That's not interesting. Why does Why does Lex Luthor think this will work? Like, I mean, I he, I mean, he he's seen him fly through buildings and knock down and basically destroy a city just by flying through things. I mean, does he think his little wheelchair bomb is going to be the solution to this scenario? Superman was I mean, so close to that bomb, he could have smelled it. Like, he could have smelled the you know, bomb. You know, well, he definitely could have smelled the piss that was Yeah, there. oh, God. Uh, and, you know, it, it just, it, it kind of, <laughs> it's, I didn't, I didn't appreciate Lex Luthor killing his unreasonably attractive assistant. Yeah, what was the point of that? You hit, they, they hadn't shown any sort of madness up until the end. And in fact, the one thing you would know about Lex Luthor from any of the like from the the original is like he's got Miss Tessmacher, who is this like woman who's always by his side, and he's just like, oh, he just picked this one that he doesn't want to kill, but he wants to kill this. It doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, you know, I think where where Batman v Superman actually. Worked a, stuck the landing a little more for me is is in the character motivation category, and that's because I think at least one side of it makes perfect sense. You know, like I I understand why Batman wants to fight Superman. I mean, it's it's an obvious 
uh, it's an obvious studio reaction to heavy criticism of Man of Steel. You know, it, it, it definitely is. It's like, wait, Superman's totally cool with this limitless destruction, and it's barely even acknowledged? Okay, we'll throw that into the beginning of our next film, and that'll be Batman's motivation, right? Right. And as, as kind of cloying as that is, I think it does work in the basic sense. They're like, okay... I know why Batman doesn't like this guy. Right? I totally agree with you, and actually that was my one thing when I saw the footage at Comic-Con and like the trailers and stuff like that, is I saw that and I was like, wow, they are actually going to have this world mean, or you know, basically show the effects of his destruction on another world, because like you said, it was ridiculously, almost borderline pornographic destruction yeah. of this city, and right. but it does have overreaching effects, and it's so funny because the same thing happens in Civil War. It's sort of in Ultron. There's just absolute, uh, just travesty and destruction of this of this place. And oh wait, it does actually have some overarching effects that are good. And so I thought, wow, okay, I could be in on this if they but, get on that. You know, so I, don't, I don't buy the reaction of the public to that though, because yeah, you know, the Avengers were in this fight that leveled an entire Eastern European city. But what was the alternative in this situation? Was is the alternative that <laughs> endless destructive robots sent by you know this uh, megalomaniacal extension of Tony Stark's ego? Like, is is that the alternative? <laughs> the, the Avengers not winning this fight? You know, like, <laughs> like yeah, I, I, I don't buy the overreaction of the public because it's it's the same thing with the biological weapon, like. Okay, what happens if if they're not there? You know, like, are you cool with that? <laughs> <laughs> are you are are you really prepared to put the, the local law enforcement on this case? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's it, it, it's the it's the collateral damage argument, and that we want you to do it, but we also want you to do it our way. And so yeah, I think I think that's the oversight they're looking for. To do it without collateral damage, I mean, that, I could kind of see that because it kind of plays into the fear of a completely vulnerable public that has no idea what they're dealing with and that's like their only measure of control is like hey let's try and control these guys I guess yeah um, but I, I still feel like it's a legitimate overreaction to people who are clearly on your side yeah <laughs> you know and you know for all their faults and there are civilians that die they they do have your best interest at heart yeah <laughs> and it probably saved the world ten times at this point or more um, yeah you know they're, they're, they're the Jack Powers <laughs> <laughs> You hate them, but you can't live without them. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, what? Well, this yeah. I mean, just to me, I want to wrap up that little that that point I was making about the. Sure. Yeah. Just I mean, just just about when I when I go to a film, when I go to a movie, especially this, and I, I know that the time of year shouldn't really have anything to do with it, but I mean, it'll just let's just say let's take any sort of movie. I think there needs to be an element of escapism, and there needs to be an element of something, and you can still have it be serious. I don't begrudge DC wanting to go dark with their films. Like that's clearly a decision they've, they want to make. I think they maybe are doing it in direct contrast with the brightness of the Marvel films and they want to handle these heavy weighty things, but you just don't need to all look like just everybody's dog just got shot every single time. You know, like it just, yeah. Like their dog just got put down in this movie. Nobody smiles in Batman vs. Superman. I mean, there's like... We, we do get one smile oh, yeah. from, Gal- from, Wonder Woman. from Wonder Woman before she's Wonder Woman. That's it. 
No, 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 during Wonder Woman, when she gets knocked down by the Lord of the Rings leftover. Oh. Um, uh, she smiles for a second, and you, you can tell, like, she is is having a good time. And that's that's something that is definitely <laughs> missing from this entire film. And, it, it get, you know, the character motivations, it's like, okay, Batman knows that Superman is, at, least, at the very least, a threat. And he even says that if there's a 1% chance, we have to take it, you know, absolutely serious. Um, and in more or less that tone you look like um, you sound like Ben Affleck just took over your body there for a second <laughs> yeah and you know I, what can I say your, yeah <laughs> um, it, okay yeah he, he's a very at the very least a threat but doesn't he want to talk to the guy first you know like doesn't he want to be like hey what's going on with you <laughs> do, I, do I really just want to go straight to he dies you know, like, like, isn't Batman a little more intelligent than that at this point? <laughs> and, and this is going to sound like a weird question, but what's your mom's name? <laughs> you know, you know, I, I don't think in principle that that was a bad place to take this movie. I just, I just don't think it was handled well. No, it you was know? too. I, I, it was the, too ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. The, the stark contrast of of this black hole of a film, where, you know, where no light gets through. Uh, and, and suddenly to take it to such an emotional place like that, that is, you know, it, it's understandably like, yeah, I never put that together. You know, I never did, honestly. No, um, I didn't I, only the most diehard comic book fans probably would. But it's it, it, it's just a little too much to ask for in this particular moment before Superman is about to drive a wrought iron stake of kryptonite. Or Batman's about to drive this wrought iron stake of kryptonite through Superman, then that's what would finally turn him off. Why? It, why doesn't Wonder Woman use the scepter to put it through? Uh, uh, what's his, I can't even think of his name. What's the name? Apocalypse? No, it's not Apocalypse. <laughs> Doomsday. Doomsday. Why doesn't? Why doesn't? He, why doesn't he give it to Wonder Woman to run it through Doomsday? Why does he have to be the one to do it? Yeah, I mean, she's she obviously kicks ass. She right? obviously she obviously has a pretty like eighty percent of the powers of Superman without any of the allergic the allergy to kryptonite. So why does he have to be the one? It's so contrived just so they can like kill Superman and bring him back in the well, next movie. It's like it's come again, on. I can't even believe they tried to put that in this movie. You know, the death of Superman is like is a huge deal and. It, it just it does feel incredibly tacked on, and there's this lovely moment. The only time in the movie I actually burst out laughing. This is right before Superman becomes the the martyr that his uh, you know his Christ figure was always destined to be. Uh, it's when he kind of gets thrown back by by the Doomsday Troll, and you know Lois is right there for some inexplicable reason. Oh God. Uh, uh, other than other than Amy Adams is cast in the film and has to show up somewhere by contract. That's so depressing and, that she's in there. There's this there's this great little moment before he does this thing where he just looks at her and goes, "I love you," <laughs> and I, I I literally burst out laughing because you so did not fucking earn that. <laughs> that, is, that I mean, what have we've gotten like four scenes with them in two movies, and one of them was that really weird. Okay, but kind of awesome bathtub scene that happens earlier. Yeah, yeah. Let's not let's <laughs> let, let's not go too crazy on that. <laughs> let's let's look 
are we really going to pretend at this juncture that there was like a vested love interest here? You know, like, you did not fucking earn that Zack Snyder, and shame on you for trying. We could talk about that with a lot of things that he didn't really earn, but, I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot to delve into with that, but, I mean... Uh, let's, yeah. let's just run through a quick bullet list of things that suck about this film. Okay. Um, because, because it's always fun to talk about. Um, so... We already talked about the Martha moment. And yeah. I, for some reason, I kept thinking about you know that Beat Hillston Martha. Martha. <laughs> you know, they may as well have just started playing the it. They may as well have just played it. Who like no? It wouldn't have mattered at that point. It would have been like, oh, okay. You spent. You actually spent your money on something useful. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You actually put some art in the film. That's great. <laughs> um, uh, the. I, the action scenes in this film, I think, are there's a couple interesting things going on with Batman that I think were pretty cool. Kind of the Arkham Asylum video game aesthetic to to fight choreography, which are are kind of fun to watch, even though that it's it's brutal and completely out of character and 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 means nothing in the and context almost of this nonsensical. Film. On, on, some, there's, yeah. on some, there's some fun. Yeah, in there. a vacuum. Uh, yeah, uh, but I do think Zack Snyder is. Judging by this film alone, he is so inept at any kind of weight or gravity to action scenes. I, 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 I just I felt nothing throughout the course of this film in any way approaching excitement to any of the things I was that was supposed to conjure those feelings out of me. You know, like I, I, I think I think to our our good pal Michael Bay, right? Um, even though Michael Bay's style as an action director is horrible and I hate it. Uh, there is a style there. There is an authorial stamp, no matter how perverse it may be. No, and that's exactly what I argued when I argued for him in the old McShroga cast when we did our uh, Defending the Indefensible. That's exactly right. what I said. It's like my, my two-prong right. argument was like his movies make money and whether you like it or not, he has a style. Like, you don't like the style at all, but he sticks with it, and you can clearly see, okay, this is a Michael Bay movie because it has this, this, yeah. and this. So, I mean, yeah, like, I totally agree with that point. I totally yeah. think that's yeah, true. Yeah, and I don't think Zack Snyder even has that. You know, I, I don't think there's any kind of, of stamp here that that lets me know I'm watching a guy who has really any idea what he's doing not in the, not in this movie i think he has it in general i just don't think he didn't he either didn't use it or he didn't use it effectively because he's really good at like and it's sort of cliche now but some of those slow motion shots that he does i mean that's kind of his signature and they really worked well in 300 and i think at parts of watchmen like i like watchmen um but it's been a kind of a really very slow decline since then um but 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 I I do think he does have a style. I just don't know where it was in this movie. I don't know what he was doing. Like, why did he need to be the one to make this movie? If he wasn't going to make it like, if he wasn't going to make it look like Three Hundred or look like even look like parts of Sucker Punch, where they just clearly have their own style on their own, why was he the director? Like, why did he he didn't bring anything else to it at all? Oh man, Sucker Punch! It's a, a movie that literally got worse every minute it was on screen. And I don't think I don't think I can say that about any other film I've ever seen. Uh, like, I mean, it's such a a regrettable piece of just 
juvenile fantasia it's it's just it's just unforgivable it's like the it's like the the anime gamers you know unrestrained wet dream for for not for two hours but take that out of it but take that out of it there are at least like three or four (laughs) good shots in there okay i will say about Zack snyder you've said michael bay directs a hell of a trailer in the past yes Zack snyder does direct a hell of a prologue Mm. Um, I, I think the prologues are always the best parts about his film. Even the, even in Batman vs Superman, a, a scene that we've had forced upon us times innumerable now. Um, oh. Bruce Wayne's origin, Bruce Wayne's origin story, and it is in the death of his parents. Yeah, can um, we not have that ever again? Can we? No, I, I agree. Yeah. But I think if this had to be the last time. Uh, it was shot in a kind of an interesting way, you know. I mean, I think he he did use that that slow motion effect in three hundred, you know, maybe to good use for perhaps the last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's some really good imagery there with the gun kind of pulling back the the pearl necklace, and mm-hmm. it just on its own, I think it's a it's a very artful it's a very artful sequence. Um, it just so happens to be relaying information that nobody needs to see again. Well, what's funny is that when Casey and I talked about it, I think we both jointly came to the horrifying conclusion that maybe like an eight or nine year old watching this movie, that would be how they were introduced to the Batman origin story. That would be the first time they would have seen it. Like, oh, if any if any parent brings a kid under twelve to this movie, they're insane. <laughs> like, I, like you know, this this movie is barely made for. Anybody, you know, yeah. but it's but it's definitely definitely not for children. Side. No, I, I mean it's, it's for for a film with two comic characters that in the past has at least partially been aimed towards children. This there is I wouldn't let my kid anywhere near this fucking thing. <laughs> you know, like it, it's just I mean he caps Jimmy Olsen in the first fifteen minutes. And I didn't even know it was Jimmy Olsen, which makes it even worse. Until the credits. Until the credits. Yeah, like, just, oh, that guy? Just a, yeah. Just a complete heat check to Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. To, to start this film. <laughs> it's and, the uh, Ryan Chappelle treatment. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, oh, that, that's still I knew I'd throw you off your game. There you go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, such a, that's such a hard part of 24 to think about. Um, but there was the Jimmy Olsen thing, and... You know, here's how far into the murk this movie goes. At one point, Alfred is about to kill people. You know, he's he's using the the bat wing or whatever as like he's commanding it via predator drone like, and you start to like you know to shoot up dudes in Batman's path and and it's like is Alfred really going to start knocking fools <laughs> off in this movie? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the only thing left that the only person left who hasn't killed somebody. There could have that. I mean, and I can't. I don't know if that would have made it more redeemable or just like that would just would have made it gone more off the rails than it already had. Um, There's there's an interesting theory here that actually Kevin Smith expounded upon in his review of it. And it's something that happens during the dream sequence, which is one of the more, which one there were four, the, uh, the extended one. Oh, where where, where he's stealing the, where he's trying to steal the kryptonite. It's, uh, yeah, the one where, you know, it's, like, set in a post-apocalyptic future. Right, where Superman is, like, a god now, and everybody's wearing, yeah, okay, I mean, yeah, 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 all right. One, one of the more interesting scenes in the movie, just because it was so confusing and out of nowhere. Kind of out but, there, yeah. Uh, but there, there is this 
part where they kind of tease future films with these, uh, they call them parademons, I think, uh, that, are, that are flying in. They're like these little winged monsters that a, a future big bad has control over. Um, and I remember Kevin Smith talking, and he saw the movie with Jason Mewes, and they, as soon as that part happened, he said there was this moment of recognition that those two had that it kind of goes back to their love of the comics and being so familiar with the source material. And as soon as that happened, they both looked at each other and said, parademons, right? Yeah. Um, and it was this moment of recognition, and it was something they never thought they'd ever see on a movie screen. And and they, they and Kevin Smith said in a very honest way um, that sometimes that's enough to carry a movie over its flaws, that it, it gives you that, that moment for however brief it was that you that, – that elevates everything you're watching just because you're so amazed you're actually watching it. And it, he kind of coined the, coined it the parademon theory of, of movies hmm. um, where it, it can, it can lift itself up just because the, the sheer experience of, of not ever having seen this given the, the Royal treatment, you know, is, is sometimes enough to bring it into the, into the light for you. And, you know, I, I don't have that relationship to these, the comics at all. So it didn't happen for me, but it's kind of an interesting perspective on it. That is interesting, and, and I think that that can for a while, and then eventually it wears off. I mean, if you watch yeah. if you watch it again, or you start you, you yeah. start to think about the rest of it, you're like, all right, well, the parademons were pretty cool, but oh man, the other two hours and thirty three minutes were pretty terrible. <laughs> ah, it's so hard to judge. I can't do it. You know, like I, I so for a movie with V in the title, where there's supposed to be this. You know, un- unstoppable force meets an immovable op. You know, it, it, yeah. like it, it is rather funny that one side of this fight has no reason to be in this fight, and he doesn't want to be there. Superman does not want to be there. He flies in, and he's like, "I really do." I he essentially just goes, "I'm not even supposed to be here today." Like that's his <laughs> attitude towards it. If you may take it back to Kevin Smith, yeah, like he just he he sort of is like. Well, I just sort of was forced to come in here by this crazy guy who may or may not make any sense with things that he's saying and this, that, and he's got my mom and he's got the, you know, it's just, it, and, and so when you have the two sides, you have this like teased about fight that you go on, you think you're just, you're, you're, you're going, okay, I'm going to, you know, going back to the parody me, like I, I, I waited through all this other bullshit. Now we're going to get to this. And it, to see one party just kind of be like, you don't want this, man. You don't want this. This is not what you're – we shouldn't be doing. This. You know, it just – it's such a letdown. Oh, it is, man. I mean there, there's just no narrative flow or cohesion to this. And coming from Chris Terrio, who is a, a, a very esteemed screenwriter, and it just it, it just feels like he, he buckled under the – uh, the, the brooding avalanche of this movie. You know, it just – it doesn't feel like anything – ever flows you know there's not a there's not a sense of momentum ever it's like it's all it's just it's so choppy you know it's 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 just it's all over the place and it, you, you feel like you got to you get to one scene and you don't know why you just came from the previous scene and there's all this stuff about the what is it the the white uh portuguese and you're like what the fuck is going yeah. on Who is you this? Know? yeah and um, and and i think it, it's all a ploy just to make a bunch of money because they cut those parts out of the movie, and then they slowly release these, these deleted scenes. Like, there was a deleted scene on the internet, released by Warner Brothers, like, Tuesday after the movie came out. 
And it's like, ooh, it's supposed to help explain some sort of motivation and da-da-da-da. And now they're going to re-release the three-hour R-rated cut, which I don't understand why adding more time to this movie will do anything. Because I, I, it's not going to – I mean, unless it explains the motivations of the characters, unless it explains certain things, or it they, they just digitally face replace everybody with a smile on their face. Like, it just – it's not going to make it any better or any more inherently watchable. Um and, but I'm, still, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really annoying and irritating. You know, I actually find Civil War a more frustrating film <laughs> because I expected nothing out of Batman v Superman. Um, as soon as Zack Snyder was announced as the shepherd of this universe, you know, I, I, I've always just taken the cynical, I think they're fucked kind of position. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I don't, I don't see the authorial stamp. I, I never have. He's been good in, in, in first, but not for quite a while. Um, whereas I, I feel like civil war just had the, the potential to be the dark Knight of the Marvel cinematic universe, you know? And I, I think it just, it's just, it's too, it's too light and airy. I think to a fault, even though it is, it is fun from time to time, but I, I feel like they, even though they do take it to a really emotional climax, I, I still always feel like they're this, they're, they're, they're pulling the punches, man. They, they like, I feel like they, okay, let's put it this way. To, for a very extended metaphor, hang, hang with me. Um, I, I think that they're the cuttlefish of the superhero era. Okay, they're they're flashy. They can take many forms. It can be fun to watch, and ultimately, it's still an invertebrate. Hmm. It's it's spineless. spineless. Yeah, it's spineless, dude. It, it's like they. They're fully content with giving us, you know, the most expensive television series of all time. And I, I don't think that they have greatness in them. And I hope I'm proved wrong when, you know, all this stuff that's been leading to supposedly resolves in a few years. But it just, I, 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 I don't feel like they're ever going to try and hit a home run, even though this may have been their, their best shot yet. Probably. You know? Well, probably until the next, the next, next Avengers movie. I see, yeah. and and I and I interesting because Batman v Superman has kind of opened my eyes to to now if Marvel did try to take themselves more seriously, it could just it, it could end up this way. I'm not saying that it would, but it could end up this way, and that's not what I would have wanted. And it's so funny that you're mentioning because I don't mind the lightness and airiness. I prefer that. Over what I got, I, I, yeah. I think that that works too. And even in the Christopher Nolan movie, Christopher Nolan movies, you can find lightness and comedic touches. That's what I mean. So, so, and, so you can have it both ways. But no, you, you can. But I think for a movie with the audacity to call itself Civil War, I think it's very disappointingly bereft of consequences. You know, like, uh, like I, I don't, I, I didn't feel the weight of such a lofty premise realized by the time this was over. You know, I, I, I feel like in a movie called Civil War, there should actually be some casualties, you know, and, and I, I guess you could say they're figurative and yeah, uh, and whatever, but I, it just, it, it just didn't live up to the promise for me. I was actually, it, it, it's actually very, it's actually very well done in the same breath, though. I, I was actually thinking, and I think we'll, we'll wrap it up after this, but I was actually, speaking of that, I kind of thought that they could have used this opportunity to kill Iron Man. Because, because, because I think that he has had very public contract disputes, right? I mean, he wants all the money, and they only want to give him some of the money. 
And yeah, you can tell because this is almost another Iron Man sequel. I mean, you can make the argument yeah. that it is. So I kind of thought that, and, and maybe I have my mythology wrong, but it seemed like if he gets that thing ripped out of his chest or broken, like that he's going to die. And it seemed like yeah, they, they kind of left I, it sort of like, oh man, they're gonna, he, he's going to rip it all the way out and like kill Tony Stark, and that could have been I, a way to wrap it all up. You know, I, I thought that too, but then I, I was reminded after by our good pal and fallen podcaster, Mike Baroga, maybe you rest in peace. Man, wherever he is, I hope he's floating around doing something positive with his life. Yeah, I, I, you know, it can't be too positive because he's not with us, obviously. I thought you were going to say that you, 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 you were reminded that you were watching a Marvel movie and nobody ever dies in a Marvel movie. I thought that's what you were going to say, which is true. <laughs> People, people do die, but they don't... Not important characters. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, when, just when you think Agent Coulson has died, you know, the, the TV series makes him a clone. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just like, ugh. but But I was reminded that they actually resolved that Tony Stark dilemma in Iron Man 3, and of course I forgot it because I hate that movie. That movie's um, And they, they resolved the whole dependency on that, and, uh, and it, it, I, I actually forgot how because I haven't seen it since that movie. Uh, or since it came out, excuse me. Um, but that was resolved. I, I okay, well, but it seemed like this, th- that they could have conceivably just been like, you know what, we're not going to pay you, you're not going to be in more movies until you, we pay you $50 million to play this character. So they could have just killed him, <laughs> but, I guess yeah. they, but they I mean, didn't. Or, or, or War Machine. Is there any reason to keep John, Don Cheadle a paraplegic in this yeah. universe? He, you know what though? It's probably and you know it's probably that like oh no, but War Machine hurts his spine and then becomes this character later on in the comic books. You know, it's probably he probably has some he'll he'll have some. And, and, and that's the thing is the the, the never the never uh, never the never approaching sense of closure. I think is coming. <laughs> you know, and, and and hopefully I'm proved wrong. I mean, people tell me Infinity War has a lot more consequences. Uh, than Civil War does, but it it, it does you know it, it does feel like the never ending string string of who give who gives a shit at some point yeah. because you you need arcs to end you know like stories have to have conclusions and and they, they just don't yet you know and, and that's and that's what makes the, a movie that does give its characters a chance to wrap up their their arc all the more savory whenever they do come along yeah it's like the Empire Strikes Back ending is good on its own but you can't have that every single time because it's going to lose some of its luster and you're just going to get like god just give me some resolution of something yeah i mean we're in like a 13 movie arc now or, or something I, I don't yeah, know totally many, normal I don't, totally normal yeah I don't, I don't know how many there have been but i just you know I, my interest is, is, is still waning you know it, with every passing film even no matter how expertly it's done just because i resolution is a big part of my mm-hmm. <laughs> acquired Acquired cinematic taste. <laughs> the nerve. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I guess that's a good place to wrap it up. I think we've spent more time on this than at least Batman and Superman deserves. <laughs> well, certainly, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed the show, you can get in touch uh, with us. It's uh, We're on the Twits at M-C-E-P-O-D-N-E-T, M-C-E-P-O-D-N-E-T. Uh, you can get us on Facebook. You can find us on email, mccarenpod at gmail.com. Uh, Clayton, you got anything to plug? You got anything coming up? Um, well, I'm, I, I'm on a project, project right now that's keeping most of my time. Hence, we haven't been 
doing a bunch of these, and I'm sure you've been you've been busy as well. And, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, my free time is very minimal these days, so it was actually really enjoyable to sit down and do this and uh, relive the glory days with you. And well, the glory days are not gone; they're still here. They're just they're just a little on delay, is all. So yeah, they're a little uh, more a little more infrequent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, are you going to get a credit on that other project you worked on? Is this something you can release? Um, like, are you sh- like, yeah, should I, people I should, go and I, look for you? Should, should people go to that project and try to find your name? Yeah. I mean, they can, they can find me at, I think, I think I, I should be on independence day resurgence, uh, excuse me, resurgence. Um, I was on it for five months and I've heard of bigger travesties happening with people on like seven, eight months that, for whatever reason, their name just Didn't falls through the cracks. Um, okay. But yeah, no, I should be in the credits for the latest uh, Roland Emmerich uh, thing. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to hear my quick prediction real, about that really quick? My prediction sure. is that the the Purge election year will make more money its opening weekend than Independence Day will its opening weekend. That's 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 my bold prediction in, in the lay of the land of things. Oh, uh, I, I, I... As... as unsure about the overall quality of the Independence Day sequel as I am, um, I, I think that it will still do pretty well. Alright, well go check out Clayton in the credits on Independence Day Resurgence and then go... And, yeah. and Jungle Book if you haven't seen it. Oh, yet. and Jungle Book, that's right. Yeah, he's credits from the Jungle Book. He did a great job in that. So, um, no, you were the voice of Baloo? I think that's what it was. I think that's I, I, where I, your credit I, is. No, no, no. no actually, I, I, I was the Gigantopithecus doing the Marlon Brando impersonation. <laughs> That um, was that was pretty amazing, but we'll that's another yeah, story for another was, day. It, so. was, it was amazing, and you caught the cowbell reference, right? Oh, absolutely! I was I was right on it. I was probably the only one laughing in our theater that that oh, picked it, up it on was, that. It, so it was it was great. Completely yeah, that's, uh, uh, Fav- Favreau did a, did a did a wonderful job, and I'm yeah. very happy to have be, be anywhere near that movie. So uh, download us, check us out, follow us, tweet us, whatever you want, um, and we'll be getting more of these out to you uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Clayton, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Ryan, the pleasure is all mine. Till next time, sir. Bye-bye. Bye.